0: Welcome into another episode of Real Pod Wednesdays. Dan Hope joined by Colin Haas Hill, as always, as uh, we continue with our social distancing episodes of Real Pod Wednesdays. Colin, how are you holding up there in Cleveland? I'm hanging, man. I'm just getting used to it at this point. Ah, I know it's it, it's it's getting to a point to me where it's almost going to be weird when we have to like actually start like going to cover stuff in person again because <laughs> it's it's been a couple months since we've actually had to so. Uh, It is. We have gotten used to it. Uh, Fortunately, we both work from home a lot, so nothing too crazy. But plenty to talk about this week. Of course, the NFL draft coming up or just happening this past week, so uh, we'll review that. We're also going to look ahead a little bit about who Ohio State's uh, next crop of draft prospects would be. Uh, We also had the opportunity to talk to some assistant coaches last week so uh, we'll we'll discuss some of our takeaways from that and uh, Ohio State's recruiting efforts just keep rolling uh, they're now starting on the 2022 class so uh, we'll talk about that a little bit as well and then uh, finish up the show getting to some of your questions we'll start off with the NFL drafts as that was the biggest event of this past week and another big year for the Buckeyes as we all expected. 10 Ohio State players were drafted, marking the sixth time ever that Ohio State has hit double digits in players drafted. Ohio State has now had 45 players drafted in the past five years. Only Alabama has more with 48 in at least seven selections in five straight drafts. No surprise that it was very Buckeye heavy at the top. Joe Burrow going number one to the Cincinnati Bengals. Chase Young going number two to the Washington Redskins, and Jeff Okuda going number three to the Detroit Lions. Joe Burrow, of course, not officially counting as an Ohio State draft pick because he finished his career at LSU, but when you just think back of the fact that three years ago, these guys were all part of a 2017 Ohio State football team, and, and now they're the number three picks in the 2020 NFL draft. It's, it's a pretty remarkable feat for that to happen.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, we we hit on it a lot last week, but it is worth just mentioning again. Like, you see the photos um, of, of Chase Young pass rushing against Joe Burrow from back when they were teammates, and it's just so amazing how far they've come. And at the time, when you would see one of those photos, it'd be like, well, there's Chase Young, future top three pick, and there's Joe Burrow. And I have no idea what his future holds, but it's certainly not going to be the number one pick. And then all of a sudden, Joe Burrow goes and gets taken out of Chase Young. And at this point, you know, we knew that was coming for for many months. But at the same time, sometimes you do just take a step back and think about what we all imagine the career, the, the trajectory of Joe Burrow would be. And I know from my perspective, I didn't even imagine in
0: a million years that this would be his ceiling. Yeah, I think the thing that's amazing about it is the fact that when he was drafted number 1 overall on Thursday, it was kind of like yeah, that was what was going to happen. Like it was totally inevitable at that point. Like I think I think the shock value of what Joe Burrow became, you know, to me there was there was some of that when when he won the Heisman, when he won the national championship, it was like Wow, I mean, wow! That this guy who was Ohio State's third-string quarterback, who I don't think any of us really ever expected was going to be in this position as a number one overall draft pick, that you know he was able to accomplish all those things. Uh, it, it was definitely a, a wow moment for me that he had the kind of year that he did at LSU. Whereas Chase Young and Jeff Okuda, you know, we expected this really from before they even started their careers—top ten overall recruits. They they were on this trajectory throughout their Ohio State careers, so none of this really came as a surprise for them. But you know, I think for Joe Burrow, uh, it, it really was shocking then. But you know, in the, all the months leading up to the draft, we knew you know that was going to happen. It, it became the obvious pick for the Bengals, and you know, certainly an exciting time for the Bengals to to get a quarterback from the state of Ohio, and, you know, he's he's got huge expectations to live up to, but certainly based on the way he performed at LSU last year, you, you would think that he's ready for the spotlight.
1: If we're going to talk about obvious picks, I feel like maybe I should have seen this coming because I, I, I now realize that Al Davis is alive and he's with us somewhere because this pick was absolutely made by Al Davis. But Damon Arnett, when he went 19th, what was your initial reaction? Do you remember?
0: Well, first of all, you're stealing my spotlight as, as Mr. Segway over there. With, That's true. Uh, that I had one, to get that but, one in. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to lie. Um, Kerry Combs on the teleconference that we had with assistant coaches last week on Wednesday, he told us, he said, quote, don't be surprised how high he gets drafted. I'm not going to lie. I was pretty surprised when he he went 19th overall. To the Las Vegas Raiders, and and that's not because I don't I don't think Damon is deserving. I I, I just didn't see it happen. I, I basically every mock draft leading up to the draft had him as a second round pick. It really hadn't been a ton of talk about him as a first round pick. If he if he had gone in the late first round, you know the last five picks or so that wouldn't have shocked me. But when he went 19th. Yeah, I, I I think I saw it on Twitter first before it it came up on TV, and I was just like, did I just read that right? Damon Arnett just went 19th. Is is that for real? Uh, so so yeah, I'm I mean, I'm not gonna lie, I, I was pretty shocked, and you know, hearing what everybody had to say to him had to say about him, whether it was, Kerry Combs, Ryan Day, I, I know Urban Meyer, I think it might have been on a radio interview, had said that don't be surprised if he goes in the first round i think they saw it coming i don't know maybe the raiders had had told damon that hey we're gonna take you for our second first round pick if if we get that chance but i think they were all pretty confident but i think the media and and fans at large were certainly taken aback that he went just that high
1: yeah i mean so was i even though I, when, I, when I think back at what his 2019 season was, I, th- I think that he had top 10 overall type of season. Like I just think he was that good. I think he was so good last year. But obviously teams don't draft on just one year, especially on a fifth-year guy who's been, around, who's been around. He's older. Um, you've, you've got a ton of tape on him, and you have an idea of what, what his trajectory will be and what he might be like in the NFL. I was still just blown away and and it's tough to say like I, I think that there are a lot of people questioning that pick and and maybe even more so than any other pick in the first round. I think I think if, if I'm imagining what will make that a good pick or, or make that well, if you realize it to reach is you know if he continues to play like he did last year. You no know, that is a that is a good starting cornerback in the NFL. The only problem there is, you've really only got one year, one year of experience doing that. He doesn't necessarily have the kind of measurables, the kind of um, the kind of combine stats, really that that some of the other cornerbacks that have come out of Ohio State, especially Jeff Okuda, in his own cl- in, in his own twenty twenty draft class, have. Um, and he's an older guy you think maybe maybe he's closer to his ceiling than someone like Okuda is i think that there are legitimate worries there but if you're going straight off of the 2019 tape it makes sense yet i was still Sort of blown away that, that that actually happened, given that if we had a, if we had this conversation last year about you know in a year what what do we think that Damon Arnett where do we think Damon Arnett's going to get drafted? I might have said the you know somewhere between the third and sixth round. I, I would certainly not have said the first round.
0: Yeah, I would have been right there with you. And I mean, I think if he had gone a year ago. Like he almost did, I, I don't think he would have been selected any earlier than the third round. Because I think I think his 2018 play was that of a middle round pick. I I don't nope. think it was close to a first round pick. But but I agree with you. I think his film last year was that of a first round pick. And I and I know, you know, I mean, I know. I remember, you know, just a, a fan emailed me a couple weeks ago was asking me you know, why aren't more people talking about Damon Arnett as a first round pick? And, you know, I, I was still kind of of a belief that, you know, just the overall body of work and some of his more inconsistent play in previous seasons, that, that he was going to be a second round pick. And, and the other thing is we, the, the one thing about the draft and when we kind of evaluate it in hindsight is we don't know exactly where he was on any other team's board. So we don't necessarily know if other NFL teams valued him as a top twenty pick the way the Raiders did. But I also think it it it's kind of a a reminder sometimes that I, I think I think sometimes in this draft process when we're evaluating guys, sometimes it's hard to kind of move past old perceptions. And I think, you know, some of that probably bled into it with Damon Arnett that as great as he played this past season and, and, and I agree with you. I, I know you feel this way based on conversations we've had both on-air and off-air, that you, know, you you feel like Damon Arnett played as well as any cornerback in the country last year. But I don't think anyone was talking about that during the season. I, I think yep. Sean Wade, who didn't enter the draft, was actually being talked about a lot more than Damon Arnett during the season. And that's, that's not to say that Sean didn't also deserve a praise because he very well might have been a first-round pick if he entered the draft too. But I think... I I don't think I agree with you. I don't think Damon got as much credit as he deserved during the season last year, and now he finally gets that credit. Now here's an NFL team that's putting millions of dollars on this decision is saying we believe in this guy. We believe he's the fourth best cornerback in the draft. We believe he's worth a top twenty pick. Mike Mayock even admitted after the draft they probably could have traded down a little bit and still got him but they didn't want to lose him. So that's that's how highly they valued Damon Arnett that they were not going to risk trading down and picking up more picks to potentially not get their guy. So that's how highly they valued him and it is it's a, it's a testament to how much he developed this past year. It's a it's a testament to how well he played and you know da- Damon's always been a guy who uh you know he, He's always, I think, taken extra motivation from trying to shut the doubters down. So he's still got plenty of them because there's plenty of people out there who who don't think the Raiders made a good pick. But you know, that, I think that's only going to fuel him more to try to prove them wrong. And you know, you know, a thing that's funny about it, you know, I, I've followed the draft so closely for years, that you know, I have opinions too on who's a reach and who's not and all that. But it, at the end of the day. that's not really going to matter. All that's going to matter is is Damon Arnett become the quality starting cornerback for the Raiders, but he now has to be as a first-round pick. And if he can do that, which like you said, if he plays as well as he played at Ohio State last year, I think he can be that, then it's a great pick. Going
1: back to your point that you made uh, about how people really weren't talking about him in the season that he was having last year, I think that that's, that's... that was largely the case with Devon Hamilton too, because I think that those were guys who, throughout the season, were playing well. But I, I think even I think for us, for fans, for a lot of people, it's hard to get necessarily what your perceptions of them and how they were playing in years past out of your head when you're evaluating what they were doing this season. And I think that that was probably the most difficult part. I still remember I I, I had mentioned this to you before in passing that. I didn't really even verbalize what what, what I was thinking about Damon Arnett season that was, as it was happening until I remember I was talking to Bill Landis of the Athletic at I think Bronny's game in December at, at Value City or no Nationwide Arena and you know we were talking about how Ohio State might be defending Clemson he he theorized you know maybe they'd have to move Sean Wade outside move Damon Arnett inside to nickel and then I was like wait a sec Damon Arnett's played awesome this year I don't think they need to do that. And then in my head, I was like, well, if we're evaluate, if we're thinking about Sean Wade as, as this future first-round pick, and I, and I, in this moment, I'm thinking that, you know, I think Damon Arnett might be the best option outside. I think that tells you a lot about what they had at cornerback last season. Um, and, you know, it would have been fascinating to see them go up against LSU in the national championship game but you know I guess we'll get to see Damon and and Jeff uh, against uh, NFL wide receivers here shortly and then you know Sean one year later
0: I was not anticipating a Bronny James name drop on the show today
1: listen I that that game was spectacular because we uh, finagled some seats in in the front row that maybe were not ours but you know I'm they were what 40 feet away from LeBron it was that, that, that was an interesting show let me tell you when you see that many people excited to watch a, a 14 15 year old's game who's coming off the bench
0: <laughs> you mentioned Devon Hamilton i got to give you credit cuz cuz we talked last week i think you posed the question about Devon Hamilton Jonah Jackson and Malik Harrison and you know who 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 you'd value higher and you know i thought it was most likely that Malik Harrison was going to be the first of those three guys drafted thought Devon maybe had a chance to go slightly ahead of Malik but it ended up being Devon Hamilton and Jonah Jackson uh, both going earlier than Malik Harrison Uh, both of them went in the early third round Malik fell uh, close to the end of a third round so a couple guys that I know you were really high on uh, based on the way they played this past season and based on the NFL selecting them early in the third round it seems like they saw it the same way
1: yeah, I mean, I just think that they were so dominant, so consistent for for the majority of the season that that it makes sense. I'm not sure that Devon or Joan Jackson are ever going to become, you know, multi time Pro Bowlers or something like that. But I do I do think that they can they can be multi year starters in the NFL. And, and honestly, when you're looking for a mid round pick, oftentimes that's that's sort of all you can really ask for.
0: Yeah, absolutely. If you if you're getting a a solid multi year starter in the third round, that's a good pick. And I agree. I think. Both those guys are going into spots where they're going to have a chance to compete for starting spots right away. Devon Hamilton with the Jacksonville Jaguars and Jonah Jackson with the Detroit Lions. I, I think both those guys are, are definitely going to have a chance to compete for starting jobs as rookies. So good spots for them. You know I, th- I think Malik ends up in a pretty good spot too the Ravens, a team that needed a lot of linebacker help. They did draft... Patrick Queen from LSU in the first round, but uh, they needed multiple linebackers. So I think Malik's going to have a chance to play there early, uh, maybe even be a starter as a rookie. And then speaking of the Ravens, they also drafted J.K. Dobbins in the second round. Not one of the teams that I would have expected for J.K., but uh, if you know anything about the Ravens, they're famous for always putting a premium on drafting the best player available. And I think that's exactly what happened with JK Dobbins when he dropped to the 55th pick in the draft, which is further than I expected. I thought thought he'd be an early to middle second round pick. Did not think he would be the fifth running back off the board. Uh, the one that really surprised me was the Rams taking Cam Akers from Florida State ahead of J.K. Dobbins because I think J.K. was certainly more productive in college than Cam Akers was. But there's one thing we know about J.K. It's that he likes having a chip on his shoulder.
1: Yeah, that was that was my immediate takeaway too. Is that you know when when we talk about um, what these guys are going to be in the NFL, I I, I don't know that um, there's anyone who I've seen do better in recent memory with a chip on their shoulder and 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 having having imagining that they' are doubters or they're actually being doubters uh, better than JK Dobbins in the past year because I mean you heard him talk before the season during the season late into the season about how nobody believed in Ohio State how nobody believed in him and when you'd ask him about you know who are these people not who are these people doubting you he's like well I hear him I hear him and and to be honest like this is an actual real slight (laughs) i think that a lot of those last year were just like he had to come up with this in his mind that people were doubting him and now if you if you drop to number 55 when you're someone like jk who just set the the single season rushing record for ohio state last year um i know that he dropped further further than he wanted to but you know i feel extremely confident saying that in the long term he's going to be just fine
0: yeah, I mean, re- realistically, as much emphasis as we put on, you know, where a guy goes in the draft leading up to the draft, ultimately, the most important thing is landing in a good a good spot, a good fit, and I think the Ravens will be. You talk about a team that led the NFL in rushing last year, you've got uh, a mobile quarterback in Lamar Jackson, and we saw at Ohio State, JK was at his best when he was next to a running quarterback, whether that was JT Barrett or Justin Fields, so I think going into that offense, He'll 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 probably rotate behind Mark Ingram at first, but with Ingram, you know, starting to get onto the back end of his career, I think that's a situation where you know he'll be able to play early as a rotational back, and in a couple years, he's probably going to get a chance to be a starter there. So, I think that's a great spot for him. When you talk about guys who are going to have a chip on their shoulder after his draft, you certainly look at KJ Hill because th- I think. You know, other than Arnett going in the first round, the the opposite of that in terms of surprise was seeing KJ Hill fall all the way to the seventh round. Because I I thought, with the kind of career he had at Ohio State, just how consistent he was, I know I thought for sure, you know, four for fifth round uh, was going to be his floor. that somebody's going to look at just how consistent he was, um, you know, how how refined a route runner he is, and and somebody was going to want that as a middle round pick. So. I was really surprised to see him fall all the way to the seventh round. But you know, there was a lot of talk leading up to the draft about, you know, this being one of the deepest wide receivers class ever. And, and I think because KJ doesn't have that elite size, doesn't have that elite speed, he was a victim of that.
1: Yeah, and, and I think maybe he's someone who it's, it's difficult as an NFL team to be like, all right, we got to go get this guy in the fifth round, especially when the class is so deep um uh, with with wide receivers but I'll say this like if you're going to get KJ Hill in the 7th round like when, when Ryan Day says that the Chargers got a complete steal like I I really do agree with that I mean I don't I don't think he's a 7th round talent I fully understand the 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 4.6 second 40 yard dash and him not having that elite speed him not having the maybe the size that you would necessarily want in the NFL but for the, the, the kind of technical player he is, I I agree with you. I think fifth round made a lot more sense. And if you can get him in the seventh round, I mean, I guess because it's a it's a, I guess it makes somewhat sense just because of the position he plays and what he maybe lacks naturally with, with his gifts. But that is a heck of a value to get uh, w- w- with him.
0: And when you talk about fit, I think that's another good fit for him because just looking at the Chargers – Uh, receiver depth chart they've got two great receivers in Keenan Allen and Mike Williams who are their clear top two but you look at the rest of the depth chart they really don't have any proven receivers on their roster so I think that's a spot where KJ could come in and he could have a real chance to be their number three receiver as a rookie I think with his ability in the slot I think he's going to really make a strong push for immediate playing time in the slot. I, I think he's going to make that team, and I, and I think he's going to contribute early. I Again, I mean, it's, I, I don't ever think he's going to be an NFL superstar, and that's why he's a seven-round pick. But I, I think he's a guy who's going to come in. He's, he's going to be reliable. He's going to carve out a role in Los Angeles. I wanted to say San Diego, but I'll say <laughs> Los Angeles. And... You know I, I agree. I think they, I think they got a steal and I think he he could end up being one of the best value picks in the entire draft.
1: The other guy um, who, who might be worth mentioning, Jay Sean Cornell um, in the seventh round was a, a little bit of a surprise just because you didn't you, you didn't hear a ton of buzz around him leading up to the draft.
0: Yeah, I, I really didn't hear much buzz about him at all, so I, I thought he was most likely going to be an undrafted free agent. Granted, the difference between a late 7th round pick and going undrafted is is very slim, but you know that shows you that the Detroit Lions, who who drafted three Buckeyes, and Jeff Okuda, Jonah Jackson, and Jay Sean Cornell, they saw something in him and they, they liked uh, they are a team that had a defensive tackle need coming into the draft, and they didn't address it in the early rounds. So so this is a guy who's certainly going to have a chance to make their team and, and to be a contributor there at that free tech spot. And Again, I think much like Damon Arnett, much like Devon Hamilton, I, I think he got himself drafted for his, this past season because he really didn't do a whole lot in his first four years at Ohio State. But I think the way he played this past season as a fifth-year senior – wasn't spectacular but i think he showed enough where an nfl team can say okay you know this is a guy who can come in and contribute in our rotation and he's worth a draft pick here in the late rounds
1: yeah uh, in terms of undrafted guys i know we had a conversation about that last year or not last year last week um but were there any guys who stuck out to you as you know maybe this guy could make a roster maybe this guy can can really stick
0: well i think it, it, an intriguing one to me was Rashad Berry because the New England Patriots had an enormous need at tight end uh, going into the draft. I mean, really, I'm not sure they have a sing- I'm not sure they had a single tight end on their roster going into the draft who is really even an NFL caliber player. So they did draft two tight ends in uh, Devin Asiasi from UCLA and Dalton Keene from Virginia Tech. But I think that's a spot where even with those two draft picks. There could be an opening there for an undrafted tight end to have a chance to earn his way onto the roster. So that's an interesting one to me in in terms of a guy who can come in and you know have a chance. Uh, Especially uh, special teams is an enormous area of emphasis for Bill Belichick, so he's going to have to be able to contribute on. Special teams, but I also know Belichick loves versatility. So for Barry to be, you know, maybe that third tight end and a guy who can also be an emergency defensive end after what he did at Ohio State, I think that's an interesting spot for him. Or I wouldn't be surprised if he performs well in camp if he if he sneaks his way onto that roster.
1: It'd be it it, it would sort of make sense when you say that, but at the same time, he's a guy who was a third string tight end at Ohio State and he and he played sparingly, and I think. That would that I think that would be a surprise to, to most fans if he stuck.
0: yeah I just I just think it's an interesting fit you know what I mean I think you know I think it's an interesting fit because a, a lot of times of guys who go undrafted a, a lot of times it is about trying to find a guy who's got you know some level of upside and I think Barry's a guy just because of his physical tools that you know I, I think I think there's a chance chance there. Um, you know, I think You know, I think in terms of a guy who I think is the most NFL-ready player of those undrafted guys, I'd probably go with, with Brandon Bowen, and I think he's a guy who could have a shot to earn his way onto the Panthers roster as a backup. But I think, I, I just think that's an interesting spot for Barry where I think he might have a better chance than if he landed with a different team.
1: Yeah, you know I'm a Bowen believer, um, which is I'm sure why you mentioned that one too, because yes. um, I think... I mean, he's just a guy who I fully understand why he went undrafted. I get it. I probably wouldn't have picked him if I couldn't, if I were an NFL GM and and I didn't have his medicals, just because of his injury history. It's hard to know, and you don't really necessarily want to invest in a in a draft pick when when you don't when you don't have that information, even even if it's a late one. But I would have been running to try and get him as an undrafted free agent because he's a guy who, if he's healthy. Um, I could totally see making a team because of his versatility. Um, he's he was just he was just really consistent last year. He wasn't a dominant offensive lineman, but he was a consistent guy on a uh, guy at right tackle who you never really had a ton of concern throughout the throughout the season. And if if he can if he can stay healthy. I certainly could see him making a roster, and I'm not going to pretend to be an expert on the Carolina Panthers' 53-man roster. So I couldn't tell you right now what his chances are of making the team, but I would be happy if I were a Panthers fan
0: that uh, you you got him as an underactive free agent. Another big draft for Ohio State, and when you look ahead to next year, certainly uh, the potential's there for another big one. 12 months from now we're gonna have a lot of time to talk about that over the next 12 months so we don't have to go too deep into it but certainly just when you look ahead i mean first of all you start with justin fields who you know depending on how the next year goes for him you know he could potentially go as high as the number one overall pick and then you add in guys like sean wade who made the decision to come back for another year Uh, chris olave is another guy who i think could be a first round pick Wyatt Davis is a guy who I think is going to be in that first-round conversation. You look at next year, and the potential is certainly there for another prolific draft for Ohio State.
1: Yeah, it is. And I, it really does all start with Justin Fields because um, I thought it was interesting. And, and like everybody, the moment the draft ends, puts out next year's mock draft because like it gets an insane amount of, of, of readership. That um, I know there there are people out there who are like why in the world are we doing this? No one knows anything. There's a year. Everything's going to change
0: because you click on it, people. That's Yes, why.
1: that is the exact reason. It's because everybody wants to at least get get one eye on it. Um, I thought it was interesting that you know Justin Fields uh, and uh, and any of the mock drafts that I saw from from reputable sources, I just never saw him. Picked first, I saw Trevor Lawrence and, and basically every single one of them, and even I saw him as as far down as thirteen um, in Bleacher Reports. Thirteen would surprise me a great deal next season, but to me, I, I do think it's a two man race with with Trevor Lawrence to be number one. With I think a lot of people outside of Columbus are going to view Trevor Lawrence as the, as the wide favorite there, and I think. Obviously, you saw Trevor Lawrence firsthand. It makes sense why why he's right there. But I I, I do think if, if you're gonna if you're if you're not viewing this as, as maybe a two person race for for the number one pick or or a three person race if you want to throw Sewell from from Oregon in there, I think that that's how I would view that right now. And and I think putting Justin Fields outside of the top three that was a little bit surprising to see on just the amount of people who, who had that just based on last year. Maybe I'm too close to it. Maybe I need to go out and, and see the other people who they had um, had of him more more film on them. But, you know, when it's all said and done, I, I, I fully expect to, to see Justin Fields as a top three pick.
0: Yeah, I don't think there's any question that the conversation should start with those two and it's going to start with those two. You know, I I would certainly... You know, that's that's what the Vegas odds are, and that's what they should be. That, you know, those two are the two most likely number one overall picks. The one thing I think is worth remembering is that at this time a year ago, we were not talking about Joe Burrow as a potential number one overall pick. At this time two years ago, we were not talking about Kyler Murray as a potential number one overall pick. At this time three years ago, we were not talking about Baker Mayfield as a number one overall pick. So the conversation's going to change a lot in the next. Twelve months. What we assume to be a sure thing now, a lot can still change. So, yeah, I'm certainly of a belief that those two are going to be very prominently in the conversation. Um, and, and 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 to me, I I think it's more of a conversation than some people think. I, I think there there are people out there who um, have had the perception, you know, for. A year or two now that Trevor Lawrence is a sure thing, number one overall pick, and and he might be. I mean, I think Trevor Lawrence is a phenomenal talent, and I think he absolutely could be the number one pick. But just in terms of Justin Fields' merits, I think Justin Fields is talented enough to overtake Trevor Lawrence. And I, I think, you know, you know, we we've seen one season of Justin Fields; he was spectacular. Hopefully, we get to see another full season of Justin Fields here this fall, and and I think you know, if he has the kind of year he's capable of, you know, I, I think it is possible he could overtake just uh, overtake Trevor Lawrence. It's it, it could just depend on the preference of whichever team uh, most needs a quarterback in the 2021 NFL Draft. But, you know, the one thing I think, and, you know, I, I think obviously uh, the, the, the Fiesta Bowl showed us why this might not be as much of a gap as some people think because they're both great athletes. But I do think Justin Fields is the better runner of the two. And I think that when you you look at how much the NFL game has changed and how much athletic mobile quarterbacks have really started to take over the league, I do think that is one area where, you know, things could potentially shift to Justin Fields. You know, especially if he runs as fast in the forty yard dash as we think he might run uh, next February. I, I think that's one way in which the the conversation could potentially shift toward fields as the number one overall pick just because of how ridiculously physically gifted he is
1: yeah i think um it, it is a fair point for you to bring up all the, the 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 quarterbacks who have come out of um i don't want to say nowhere but but certainly weren't viewed as number one overall picks and have been um, top uh, have been the top picks in past drafts but what i'll say about like the three guys who I think are up top right now, Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence, and Penay Sewell, is like those guys right now to me, just throughout their uh, throughout their careers and throughout dating back to them in high school, it just seems like right now it would be a major shock to me if they weren't in this conversation to at least, at the very least, be, be top 10 picks next year. Like I, I'm viewing these three guys as... as, as um, the, the same way that maybe I view a, a Jeff Okuda or, 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 a, or a Chase Young last year, which is like, all right, you can never be 100% of anything in the NFL draft in college football, especially with a full year between now and then, but the, these guys are extraordinary, extraordinary talents that, that really just don't come along every year, and when you have them, um, even, even though when you're a year away from, from when they'll even be able to be drafted, like – like, I, I'm feeling pretty confident in, in these three guys. That said, I, I'm i sure there are going to be people coming out of nowhere to, to, to compete with them and, and potentially supplant them.
0: Yeah, I think if Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields had been in the draft this year, I, I think there would have been a legitimate conversation about who the number one quarterback in this year's draft was. I think, yep. uh, you know, I, I mean, I think... You know, and I think you know if Tua had been healthy, there might have been anyway this year. Mm-hmm. But I, I think if if Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields, coming off the years they had last year, had been in the draft, I think there would have been more discussion about whether Joe Burrow was actually the number one quarterback. And you know, the same goes for the tackles. You know, there were a lot of tackles that went near the top of his draft. I think if Penae Sewell had been in the draft, he might have been the top tackle of them all. So. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not disagreeing with you in one bit. I mean, I would absolutely bet right now on all three of those guys being top 10 picks a year from now. Just leaving the door open for the fact that if if history has taught me anything with the draft, is there's probably going to be some other guys that we're not talking about right now who are going to burst their way into this conversation as well.
1: And by that, I'm sure you're referring to Tate Martell. <laughs> No comment. Okay. I'll refer to Tate Martell that way then.
0: <laughs> Tate Martell has got to win uh, a spot on the top two of the Miami quarterback depth chart before we can start talking about him as an NFL prospect. So right, uh, that's fair. Yeah. I mean, he, he's got, he's got uh, bigger question marks right now than uh, his 2021 NFL draft stock. But it's all right. We we'll, look put it
1: him at, like, we'll put him at the slot.
0: we'll see, we'll see what happens there. We'll see, we'll see what happens there. But uh, if, if we, if we go back to Ohio state's guys for a minute, um, you know, you look, you look at head to next year's draft and, and, and again, I, again, this is all just very early conversation. It's all just for, you know, conversational purposes. You know, I I do think it's funny. You know, I think you can start, you know, I'm actually going to write about it at some point this week, just about, you know, 20 guys on the roster that, you know, I think could be prospects in next year's draft. But does that mean I think 20 guys were going to get drafted from Ohio State next year? No. Does that mean that I think every uh, potential draft prospect is going to declare for the draft next year? No. But they do have a lot of guys uh, that, that I think are, you know, capable of being with that conversation. And, you know, certainly, you know, those guys I mentioned before, you know, I think You know, Sean Wade's a guy, he almost left this year. I think everyone's going to expect him to go next year, just like Justin Fields. Uh, Chris Olave is a guy who I think is certainly, um, you know, going into his third year. I think he's certainly on a trajectory where if he wants to go pro next year, he's going to be able to do that. And and Wyatt Davis is a guy going into his fourth year, second year as a starter. You know, I I think it's pretty likely uh, that that next year will be his last year at Ohio State too, because I, I think... I think he's going, I mean, at least right now, again, with the contingency that guys can burst on the scene, I think right now he would be the top guard for next year's draft, and I think he'd be a first-round pick. And I, I, I think the other guy who maybe doesn't get talked about enough, but in my opinion, belongs in this conversation, I don't know if he's as much of a lock to to GoPro after next year. I could see him staying for his fifth-year senior season, but I think Josh Myers belongs in this conversation as well as a guy who... Who could potentially push to be a first-round pick next year?
1: Yeah, I think it's a. It, it just depends on on how far you want to push it out. I, I do think, I, I think the potential's there um, if he's viewed as a guy who can play in multiple positions, can play guard and center, um, and he has the kind of season where he's a he's a Remington winner or Remington finalist. I think that all of a sudden he pushes himself in, into that kind of um, tier, but. Um, if I were to, 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 put Ohio State's draft picks into tiers right now, I might have him just, just outside of, of Sean Wade, Olave, and probably also Wyatt Davis. But, but positionally, and that's the thing with this too, is you just have to think about them, um, positionally, what the, uh, what, what that'll mean for the NFL draft, um, Positionally, I think he and Wyatt Davis are hurt just by the fact that they're interior linemen. And you know, if they were left tackles, we'd be having a different conversation. But the fact that they play guard and center um, means they—it's not like we're going to be talking about them as top five picks.
0: Lots of seniors who you know could potentially be in the NFL draft conversation next year. I think Thayer Munford certainly a guy who's going to be in that conversation. Pete Werner, Trey Sermon, the transfer running back from Oklahoma, is certainly a guy with NFL potential. Uh, Baron Browning, Tough Borland at linebacker, uh, Luke Farrell at tight end. I mean, he he's one of those guys who you know his upside as a draft prospect is probably limited, but as consistent and solid as he's been at Ohio State, I think he'll be an NFL draft pick. Jonathan Cooper coming back from his ankle injury, he'll look to finally have the year he's been waiting for and uh, establish himself as an NFL prospect. Haskell Garrett's a guy I look at who hasn't done a ton, but I think. You know, of him having a chance to potentially be a starter this year, uh, I think he's a guy who, you know, could have vet Devon Hamilton, Jay Sean Cornell-like emergence as a prospect at in his senior season. And then the specialists as well, uh, Blake Hobble, kicker, Drew Chrisman at punter. Um, you know, it's always hard to project, you know, if those guys have a real chance of being drafted. But I think certainly, you know, in terms of being guys who could be in that NFL conversation a year from now as guys who might have a shot to earn a job, fair positions, uh, both of those guys could be in that mix as well. Yeah, I think
1: there are like three or four really interesting guys that you just mentioned. Because, like, if Thayer Munford, for example, if Thayer Munford's healthy, if I have zero issues about his health, like, I think he's a guy who could potentially be a first-round talent. But, you know, he's he's also a guy that we know um, has, has had to sit out games in the past, and has had to sit out practice, and I'm just not sure necessarily where he is physically. Pete Warner is a guy who I'm uh, who, who I think is going to get drafted higher significantly higher than, than people think. And I know our Kyle Jones wrote a story about that for Monday. But he's a guy who I think um, is going to be the best linebacker on the team next year. He's going to play the most snaps of, of all linebackers next season. And he's going to be super versatile. And, versatile. and, and I'm interested um, I'm interested to see just how high his draft stock can get. Um, Trey Sermon, obviously, we, we really have no idea until he gets onto the field. Baron Browning just feels like he has the kind of size, the athleticism that you look for in the NFL, um, and I think that'll get help him get, get get drafted higher than maybe some people think, and then I would say Jonathan Cooper as well. Like I think maybe some people, because he's so front-facing, because he's, he, he was a captain last year, I think some people have, have fairly high expectations for him already, but he's a guy who's never had more than two and a half sacks in a season. And, and the fact that he sat out the majority of last season, it'll be a long time since we've seen him when he was healthy for a full season. I'm interested to see what he'll be like in a fifth season because he's one of those guys who I think a lot of us have an idea where it's like, I know what Jonathan Cooper is. But, you know, I haven't seen him healthy in a while. I don't necessarily know that I know, which is um, which last year I would have said, well, maybe he'll have a four or five sacks season. Um, I don't really know what what he'll be like in in twenty twenty, and, and he's a guy who's particularly interesting to me.
0: Yeah, I'm with you on pretty much all of that. I mean, I, th- I think Munford's a guy who, like you said, I mean, I, I I agree. I think you know if he has that kind of year that he's capable of, you know, he he could be a very early round draft pick. But I do, I think, I think health's a big question mark there. It's it's gonna be a question mark with him, and I, I think he really does need to have a healthy and strong senior year or i i think he could potentially slip in the draft just because i, I think teams could have questions about his durability uh, i i agree with you on pete warner i mean i i have been higher on pete Werner than than the fans pretty much ever since he's been a starter and i still think i still think he takes way more criticism and does not get nearly enough credit
1: he um, was really I, good
0: last year he was he this. was but <laughs> he was but a lot of people are still convinced that him and Tough Borland don't belong on the field. (laughs) I mean, I I, I agree with you. I mean, I I think think he's a guy right now, you know, you you talk about, you know, I I can just think back to, you know, before last season and what people were saying, oh, no chance Damon Arnett's going to be a first-round pick. And the year before that, people were saying, no way Terry McLaurin's going to be an NFL player. I think Pete Warner's one of those guys that a year from now, a lot of the stuff that's been said to, said about him is probably going to look pretty silly because I think he, he definitely has a chance to be an early round draft pick if he has the kind of season that he's capable of as a senior. And you know, you, you, you mentioned it. Yeah, I mean, Baron, Baron Browning's a guy. It, it, the tools are all there. I mean, I, I did see him in one mock draft that projected him as a first round pick. Yeah, for that one.
1: Year. That one really shocked me.
0: It's not out of a question, but a lot has to happen. Yeah. A lot has to happen because I mean, the reality is, I mean, this is a guy who was just as highly recruited as Chase Young and Jeff Okuda coming out of high school, but he has not played at that same level. He j- he just hasn't. But the tools are there, but he's got to make enormous strides in in his senior year if he's going to be you know that kind of prospect. You know, the same like a Jonathan Cooper, like you said. I mean, there's a guy. I mean, he came into Ohio State with definite expectations of being a future early-round pick, and he still could be, but it has to all come together this upcoming season because he just hasn't played at that level yet.
1: Then there's a bunch of um, guys who I would characterize as potential first-round picks, potential early picks in the future, even as early as next year, but they're all guys who— you know, we don't. We haven't seen on the field yet as starters or at, or taking significant snaps, um, and they're all underclassmen. I'll just name a few of them. If there's anyone who's, who really piques your interest, let me know. Tyreek Smith, Tommy Togiai, Josh Proctor, Jeremy Ruckert, Seven Banks, Cam Brown, Nicholas Petit-Ferrer.
0: Yeah, you know, I think, like you said, I think it's hard to say if any of them, just because we haven't seen any of them play a ton, and, and I don't necessarily... You know, would I bet on any of those guys entering the draft next year right now? I would not. But I've, we mention all of them because I think all of them are the type of guys who are talented enough and could have a big enough opportunity this next year that if they have a great season, it wouldn't be a shock to see them in the NFL draft next year. You know, I think Tommy Togiai is a guy probably out of all those guys that stands out to me just because you hear so much about how strong he is and you know he's 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 got that prototype nose tackle size he, he's quick for a guy of his size too he's one of those guys that i definitely could see you know i don't know if it'll be next year or if it be the year after but he's definitely one of those guys that i can see blowing up and being that early round nfl draft prospect because i think all the talent is there we just need to see it in more extensive playing time than he's been able to get so far
1: yeah the funny thing that the other thing that that um, they all have in common is that they're all, in the 2018 class were once really highly recruited and they still have, none of them have really broken out in the way that, that we anticipate. And I know that we're probably going to have that conversation a million times, but really it does. I I do think a lot of net season comes down to can the 2018 class put it together? Because you have a lot of guys there who are super talented and maybe you have a Marshawn Lattimore and Lee cooker type season. You obviously can never bank on that, but these are also guys who are basically all once top 100 overall recruits um, and and you and you're still sort of just sitting back, waiting, or to think, you know, is is now the time? Um, and if I were to say, if I were to think about, you know, who might have the blow-up season and go pro, um, I just think about, you know, maybe a Tyreek Smith, because a Tyreek is a guy who we've heard a lot about ever since he was um, a recruit, and and you know, at one point it seemed like he was going to Penn State, and then Larry Johnson comes and saves the day for ohio state and and he's a buckeye and and you think like is he then is he the next in line to be like the the nick bosa type the the chase young type that that kind of player um and maybe we've seen flashes but we really just haven't seen that at a a consistent level yet and if he with chase gone ohio state's going to need a heck of a lot more out of its defensive ends than they got last year and and he's a guy who i think i would project right now as a starter um, and if he can have the kind of season where where you know it's an it's an eight nine sack season, you never know. Those are those are the kind of guys who, who could go pro maybe a, a year earlier than than you might expect, just because you know he's not a guy who, as we sit right here, has ever started before or, or at yeah, least started start a full season.
0: Yeah, I think at this time last year we kind of knew that. Okay, a year from now, Chase Young, Jeff Okuda, and J.K. Dobbins are all going to be playing in the NFL. But we didn't kind of j-
1: know; we knew. <laughs>
0: yeah, I mean, I mean, we we absolutely knew with with Chase and J.K. and and I think Jeff had shown enough at the end of his sophomore year that it was pretty clear he was on that trajectory as well. You know, this year we really don't know about any of them. I think Chris Olave is is. is right up there. I mean, I, th- I think he's yeah. very close to that level, but he's maybe not quite at that level yet where you say, you know, I mean, he is getting some first-round projections, and I do think that's realistic for him, but I'm not... Yeah, am not, not a first-round f- lock right now. Right, I'm not fully there. It's, it's still... We still need to see continued progression from him. He needs to have the kind of season he's capable of to lock himself into that level. And then the rest of the guys, like you said... Tons of talent there, but right now, n- n- none of them are-, are guys that you can say with any real degree of confidence this guy is going to be an early round draft pick next year. We just got to see him play more.
1: Yeah, um, I think it also i mentioned Seven Banks and Cam Brown. I like they're guys who absolutely have to step into major roles, and we've seen cornerbacks at Ohio State, you know, sink or swim in that way. But also, when they swim, sometimes it turns out that they're Marshawn Lattimore, and they go. So, you know, we've, we've obviously seen that with Kerry Combs before. And, you know, it's never a bad thing when you have a Marshawn Lattimore. Sure, it would be great if Marshawn Lattimore played two seasons at Ohio State. But if, if Ohio State could get anything remotely close to that from, from Seven Banks and Cam Brown, they would certainly like that. And, and I am looking at them as, as, you know, guys who I think are pretty talented, but we just haven't seen them as, as full-time starters yet, and i I'm, I'm, I'm very I'm very interested to see them as much as anyone else um, in, in 2020, provided we get a season.
0: Yeah, com- completely agree with that and, and you and you mentioned that that's, of course, the question that looms over all of this is you know, how will the season be affected this fall and and if we don't have a normal season, how that could affect NFL draft decisions? i mean i I will say this. I fully expect Justin Fields to be in the 2021 NFL Draft. I fully expect Sean Wade to be in the 2021 NFL Draft. As long as there is a 2021 NFL Draft, I expect those guys to be going to the NFL next year. If that means they don't play in another game at Ohio State, well, that would be really unfortunate. But I think those guys will be playing in the NFL at this time of year from now. You know, I... I also think we're gonna have a season in some regard. I think I think the so thing that's I. interesting is that I wonder is if the season's shortened, if it's delayed, you know, maybe there's not enough games to play to, to build your film, or you know, maybe there's not a typical college football playoff, and maybe guys don't get that chance to chase a national championship they want. If, if the season is altered in a significant way, I think that could. Entice guys to come back that maybe otherwise w- wouldn't. You know, I mean, you know, I mean. You also have the questions of if a season is altered in some massive way, would that change eligibility and would you know even seniors be able to come back? I don't know if that's even something that would realistically work, but you know, I think that's the one question with all of this is that you know certainly you know you talk about some of these guys that need to break out if if there's not a full season this fall, that probably lessens the likelihood that they would be guys who, you know, are are going to the NFL a year from now. But, you know, there's there's so many unknown variables of this that it's hard to even it's hard to even completely guess how the draft would be affected by a not full College football season.
1: Yeah, yeah. At this point, we just have to assume that there is a full college football season, and react when we get we get news otherwise. Because, like you said, we just we just be guessing at this point. Let's
0: hope. Let's yes, hope.
1: And, and and hoping that is that is the other thing.
0: <laughs> now we also had the opportunity this past week to talk to some of Ohio State's assistant coaches, and uh, you know, I wanted to talk about a few of the interesting things that we took away from those conversations and you know I think probably the the most interesting nugget to me and I think it was to you as well because you wrote about it was Brian Hartline said that he does believe Garrett Wilson will probably stay at slot receiver which was a question that I had had because even though we saw it that first week of spring I didn't know especially with the rest of spring being cut short if You know, maybe they'd move him back to that X position that he played last year. But the plan, it sounds like, is to keep him in the slot. And uh, certainly I think he's got a ton of potential there, but that does potentially have a ripple effect on what the rest of a receiver depth chart is going to look like as well.
1: Yeah, I'll say this um, before going any further. Um, This is Brian Hartline talking. It wasn't Ryan Day. Brian Hartline also said, um, I think maybe earlier in that answer, that he when he was even even last year maybe around this point before the season during the season at some point he had visions of Garrett Wilson in the slot and that's something that he wanted to try and when Ryan Day you know was coming to him and and wanting to wanting to see what what his thoughts were with with how Ohio State aligned its receivers going forward in 2020 like that is one of his suggestions so when he says probably You know, I think it will probably... I'll take him for his word. I think it will probably be Garrett Wilson in the slot. But it's also out of the mouth of Brian Hartline who's the one that wanted it to happen. So I'm not going to take that to say 100% chance that Garrett Wilson will be the starting slot receiver, will play all the snaps at slot. I think he's probably right. It will probably be Garrett Wilson. But um, I will say... I wouldn't say that with with 100% certainty right now just because, you know... He's the one who really wanted it to happen and, and Ryan Day is also involved.
0: Possible domino effect of that, but on the same day we heard that from Brian Hartline, Jalen Gill announced he was transferring from Ohio State. So I think, you know, that was one of my immediate questions as soon as Brian Hartline said that was well man, if Garrett's at the slot and they've got, you know, two early enrollees there, Jackson Smith and Jigba and Mookie Cooper practice of the slot, and they've got Demario McCall of the slot, and they might have C.J. Saunders if he gets that extra year of eligibility, well, that's suddenly a lot of mouths to feed at, at slot receiver. Jalen Gill, a guy who just never seemed to be able to carve out a role for himself at Ohio State, he's decided that he's going to go elsewhere, but you still got a really interesting you know, potential competition there now, assuming they want to have a two-man rotation at that slot. That backup slot receiver position, especially if CJ gets that six year of eligibility, could be really interesting.
1: Yeah, I, I I think it's interesting um, also for the fact that like Garrett's the guy. Garrett's the kind of guy who could also potentially play both inside and outside receiver. So you know if, if he moves outside at times, there there are a lot of snaps um, for for backup slot receivers. And and I do think I think if CJ Saunders gets his six year of eligibility, I think if I were projecting a depth chart today, I would probably have him backing up um, backing up Garrett Wilson at the slot, but. I do think that um, if you're looking for for snaps for a Jackson Smith and Jigba, someone like that, or a Mookie Cooper, I think those are absolutely attainable, even though they're freshmen. And and like you said, there there do seem to be a good amount of bodies there, even with Jalen Gill transferring.
0: And I think it makes it interesting, too, what they're going to do on the outside, because uh, we know Chris Olave is going to start at one of those spots. I would suspect he would stay at the Z spot that he played... Uh, last year, but they've also got Jamison Williams uh, pushing at that spot, and then at that X spot. Now, if you move Garrett inside, now that depth chart becomes wide open. And and I know a lot of people think, you know, Julian Fleming coming in, he's got to go in there and start right away. Especially if not having a spring, I I, I don't I don't think I see them putting Julian Fleming in the starting lineup immediately as a freshman. I think he'll play. I think I think he's got a really good shot to be that second X receiver and rotate in. But I don't know if they're going to want to start him right away. So it it makes it in- interesting to see, okay, who, who might else be in that starting lineup? I think the guy that I look at and say, this guy has got a huge opportunity in front of him all of a sudden is Jalen Harris. And Brian Hartline did talk up Jalen Harris quite a bit when I asked about him last week. He said he was really impressed with the way that Jalen was starting to step up and become a leader in that room. So there's a guy who, you know, Benjamin Victor, Austin Mack, had kind of blocked his path to the field for the past few years. But maybe this will finally be his opportunity to, to break through and play more of his here.
1: Yeah, I mean he's the, he he is absolutely the guy who you look at and be like, all right, well now is now is the time, and they've set it up for him where where if he can come through, if he can be the guy that Ohio State thought it was getting when when it was recruiting him, um, the opportunities are right in front of him, and it's really up to him. Um, and and we've seen what Ohio State uh, what, what what veteran receivers can do at Ohio State. If if he can secure that, he'll have a big role in the offense. But but like you said. There, 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 are plenty of underclassmen right there who who are pushing for playing time. I do think what what you say about what you say about Julian Fleming is is definitely important. Um, and that's that you know they're they're not just going to hand him the job. He's 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 a freshman. He's never gone through a, a full preseason camp or now even even a full spring camp. Um, but he's also super talented, and so are the other freshmen. So if if Jalen Harris isn't up for it, Ohio State certainly has other options. But but this is all set up for 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 him to to win this job.
0: Speaking of super talented freshmen, I know you'll appreciate this segue, Colin. Greg Stadrawa talked oh, a little yeah, bit yeah. last this week right about the right tackle competition, and I asked him about Paris Johnson and whether you know not having spring practice would be a significant setback in his chance of winning that right tackle competition. And Greg Stadrawa said, "Yeah, it's a setback, but." also talked a lot about how mature paris is and you know he said i don't remember the exact quote but it was something along the lines of you know there's just something different about paris and i mean the way that they talk paris johnson up i really do believe there's a chance he could be the starting right tackle this year you know i still think nicholas petit frere is the front runner but the way that they talk about paris johnson it you can tell that this coaching staff is really high on him and, and his potential and, and I really do think, you know, he comes in in preseason camp and he performs well. I, I think it's in the realm of possibility that he could be the starting right tackle this year.
1: Yeah, I I would compare it a little bit to Harry Miller last year. Now, there were going to be a couple things that I would say are, are different about it. And and one is that last... Um. Last year, uh, the, um, the, the difference to me with Harry Miller is you had um, Josh Myers, who was going to, to be the starter um, at center, and it seemed like Harry Miller would, would need a heck of a preseason camp um, to overcome that. And sure, it seemed like he was the primary backup at the interior there, but I do think that that was sort of a, an unwinnable battle for him. Um, and, and, and then I would also point to the fact that Harry Miller didn't have a, a full spring practice and, and he wasn't supposed to um he he enrolled in june and paris johnson was supposed to go through spring camp and and i really do think that that would have evened it out a little bit more i still think that he absolutely has a chance to to win the job and like you said uh Sdrawa was sidrawa made it clear uh, about the the type of talent and the type of worker he thinks paris is but i will say that the fact that you know, this is going to be his first preseason camp. He didn't get to go through spring camp. I, I think he's going to be at a disadvantage. I'll say this if he wins the job, it's it's because they really believe in him and because he's the real deal. And if he wins the job, you should be excited. Not to say that if Nick petit Frere wins the job, you shouldn't be. Um, but I think it would be very telling to me if Paris won that job of, of just the kind of player he is. And if, if he's the kind of guy who they're like, well, we literally do, we just can't keep this guy off, off the field, even though he's just a freshman.
0: Yeah, and even, you know, DeWan Jones is in that mix and you know, we were talking about, you know, future NFL prospects. Reality is those three guys, those are all three guys who, depending on how they develop, we could be talking about any one of those three guys as an early round NFL draft pick in two or three years from now. So so that's the kind of talent that they have competing for this position. Now you gotta go up there and show it, but the talent that they have in that offensive line room is abundant right now with, you know, Fayer Munford, Harry Miller, Josh Myers, and Wyatt Davis at the other four spots. And, you know, I think that's why, even though you don't have an experienced right tackle, you feel really good about the guys they've got competing for it because, you know, those are free guys that have a ton of physical ability.
1: Yeah, and I think it also has to give them confidence when, like we were talking about earlier with Thayer Munford and, and his injury history, I do think there absolutely has to be concern about, you know, if something pops up in the middle of the season, who's going to be his backup. And right now, say Nick Petit Frere wins the, wins the right tackle job, then your backup is either Dewan Jones or a second year Dewan Jones or, or freshman Paris Johnson. And, and even though those guys are young, I would still feel very com- confident about them going, going into a game in, in 2020, provided, of course, they continue to develop in the way that we're projecting them to. Um, the other thing about that is you know when we're talking about the offensive line and, and we have this confidence that the right tackle spot, like look across the rest of the line. There, Munford, we talked about his potential earlier. We think Wyatt Davis and Josh Myers are potential eventual potential first round picks. They have that kind of talent. Um, and then you have probably Harry Miller stepping in at, at left guard, though Matt Jones and Gavin Copp will, will also be in the picture if, if they if they can have a breakthrough of preseason camp and, and like that right there. Is an incredible offensive line to me. I,
0: I think it's going to be the best offensive line in the country. Yeah, so do I. Yeah, so do I, I. I think I it with
1: confidence, even though I don't know the other offensive lines. Because when you just look down the line at the at the talent of each guy, it's 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 staggering.
0: Yeah, it's 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 an absolutely loaded group, and you know you got to go out there and prove it. But and there's just the the upside of that group is is extremely high, and when you've got that. You've got that kind of offensive line with Justin Fields at quarterback. It's reason to be excited about the offense. When you flip over to the defense, you know to me, the, the big question I had and that I asked Kerry Combs about last week is just installing a defensive scheme when you don't have spring practices because that's such an important time to, to building a scheme. And Kerry Combs is a first-year defensive coordinator, I know he's not planning to make major changes, but I do have to imagine there's different things that he wanted to install this spring. He said he's not trying to do much of that virtually. He doesn't think that would really be smart. You know, with guys having to deal with everything else, he doesn't want to be trying to have him learn plays when he can't be coaching them out there on the field. So, you know, if if you you know assume a situation of the season starting in September... And you know, having only six weeks before the season back on campus to to coach these guys up for the start of a season, I, I think that does limit how much you can add to to your defense for this season when your time is cut into that much.
1: Yeah, I I, I agree with that. I think that I was maybe I was looking out for the fact that you know we. Well, we heard a lot before spring practice began about how, you know, this is going to be largely the same defense, the same single high defense. Kerry Combs is going to come in, but because of last season, they're not going to change a ton. I was still at least looking out for the fact that there might be some surprises because I think Ohio State surprised us last year um, with its defense and and what it it did. So, you know, with them being so open about it being the same, it made me wonder what parts of it will be different. And now the fact that they didn't have spring ball – and the fact that um, we just don't know when, when preseason camp is, is going to be, and, and um, obviously summer workouts, or at least right now, it doesn't seem like they're going to happen in Columbus. Um, it makes you wonder what they'll be able to, to implement um, and, and change. So I do think maybe more so than I thought uh, I would have thought if they had actually gone through spring camp, I do think largely uh, I would guess – that the defense will be maybe a little bit m- more similar to, to last year's than, than than I thought, with the caveat being that it's not like I thought that they were going to make any massive changes. I just think that it will be harder to make any um, grander changes when you only potentially have a, a preseason camp.
0: Yeah, you can only take so much Coaches at their word so much when they're talking about scheme because there's always going to be things that they don't want us to know. If they don't, more importantly, they don't want their opponents to know that they're going to keep under wraps until they have to show them. But I do, I mean, and I think this is going to affect every team across the country. That I think, you know, if you think about having games in September with only six weeks to prepare for the season, I do think you're going to see more vanilla schemes just across the country, especially to start the year, just because you're going to have so much less time together as a team and there's just so much uncertainty that you know i i do think you know especially in those early games you know teams might have to keep things more basic than than they would like just because you know you don't you don't have the time to practice these things and i think if you're a coach that's probably going to make you lean a little more heavily on the things you know you can do the the your bread and butter plays that you're really comfortable with yeah,
1: and, and and it makes you want to change less, um, and and especially when Kerry Combs is coming into a situation where you know the rest of the defensive uh, coaching staff is has been set, and you also have Greg Madison in there who was the co-defensive code coordinator last year. Um, there, there are a lot of voices in that room who have who have seen success and, and been successful just last year. Um, so it would it would make sense to me that. There isn't a ton of change schematically, even though I'm sure there will be differences. But we're if we're talking about grandiose change, I that would that would surprise me.
0: And I think the hard thing too is that spring is a really good time to work through different issues that might come up. And, and I mean, just to test you. stuff. Yeah, I mean, and you bring this up with with you know for coaches and kind of how it's all going to work together. You know, that was still a question that I kind of had that we really haven't had the opportunity to get an answer to yet, just because there wasn't a spring. But just you know how it's all going to work with you know Kerry taking over as defensive coordinator and what Greg Madison's role is going to be in all this and how the collaboration is going to work and you know I think the good thing about a normal schedule is okay if you have issues that arise during the spring or just things you're experimenting with you have a significant amount of time between the end of spring practice and the start of fall camp to to kind of evaluate how things went in the spring and to try to iron out those issues. But under the model that we think might happen for this year, there's not going to be that time. I mean, even even if you get six weeks before of a season, you're not going to get a break before of a season to really get to evaluate everything. So you, you're going to have to really be able to adjust on the fly. You're not going to have you know that summer to really react to things that you might have learned in the spring. And so it's going to be really important. You know, the, the teams that are going to do the best coming out of this whole thing are the teams that are going to be able to adapt in the mi- midst of all of it and are, and are able to quickly work through any issues that might arise in camp because there's just not going to be, again, assuming that, you know, there is a season that happens this fall, there's just not going to be a lot of time to, to work through those issues necessarily.
1: I'll be the segue guy here, Dan. Speaking <laughs> of Speaking of adapting successfully. Ohio State has done so pretty well on the recruiting trail.
0: Yeah, so we had talked about it a few weeks ago. I think you had brought it up that, you know, we, we wanted to see Ohio State land the 2022 commitment soon because that hadn't happened yet, and you want to get that ball rolling for 2022. And that's exactly what happened this past week. Uh, last Wednesday night, Four-star cornerback Jair Brown became the first member of the class of 22, 2022. And then just one day later, four-star offensive tackle Tegra Shabola committed to Ohio State. So that's a good strong start there for the Buckeyes that I think is exactly what they needed to get the ball rolling, uh, especially if you look at you know trying to build another elite class like they certainly appear to be building for 2021.
1: Yeah, and, and, you know, it's it's just absurd with Ohio State right now because they're just recruiting at at such a level where, you know, you can see their plan, they execute their plan to to perfection, and, you know, all you can really do is just sit back and marvel at it. Because, you know, what their plan has always been, um, especially since Ryan Day has seen it, now this is the second class in a row where we've seen it, is, you know, they work inside out. And they, they 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 cover Ohio. They get they they land Ohio recruits. They land the top recruits in Ohio, and then they go out and they pick apart the the rest of the country and they find what national prospects they can get. Um, and if they and if there are other guys who rise in Ohio, then they come back and target them. And that's what they got with with Shibola when he's with, with, I I there's no chance I said that name right, but I'm just gonna roll with it and say that I got that right. But he's the number two uh, Ohioan uh, in 2022. And then you have a guy in Jair Brown who has Ohio connections. Um, and sure, he's in Louisiana right now, but he's he's, he's a native Ohioan. And, and he and he was interested to, to come back to, to what was his home state. And I think that that's really all you can really ask for Ohio State to do right now. It's not like they're going to go out and get five, six commits, but they start – with inside Ohio and then they find a guy who's down south who has Ohio connections and they secure them early and both of those guys are four high-end four-star guys and, and who knows what they'll be ranked when when they actually sign on the dotted line um but to me, this is just a clear representation again of what Ohio State's strategy is, and them going out and them executing it. and And this is where you've got to feel really confident in what Ryan Day and Mark Pantone are doing. When you saw that, you 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 see obviously viscerally the success that they're having in 2021, but you know they're they're already translating it into 2022.
0: Yeah, you mentioned Jair Brown. It's it's very important to note what you said about him. You know, being from Cincinnati originally. Uh, certainly, you know, I think that made playing for Kerry Combs especially very appealing for him with with Kerry Combs also being a Cincinnati guy, it just sounded like there was an instant connection there and, and Jair Brown, you know, basically being ready to commit as soon as he got the offer, because he only got the offer five days before his commitment. So I think as soon as he got that offer, he knew he was gonna be a buckeye. But it's still striking, especially when you consider what LSU did last year, that Ohio State went into Louisiana. And, and took a cornerback right out of LSU's backyard because that's one of those states where you just don't see a lot of guys come into the state and, and pull out top prospects. And Ohio State was able to do it.
1: Yeah, and you've seen them They, they – you've seen them go into Louisiana now and, and offer a couple guys, including an LSU commit. Um it is, I'll say this. It is bold of them to, to choose Louisiana, of all places right now, to, to be the state that, that Ohio State's actually going in. And, you know, they
0: had success there, so you got to hand it to them. It just feels right now like Ohio State's got a chance to get anybody they want. That's just the kind yeah. of momentum they have. that It just feels like, you know, they've got a shot to go – anywhere in the country and, and have a chance to get a guy now that doesn't mean they're gonna get them all so that doesn't mean they can't stop working as hard as they're working if they're gonna get those kind of guys but you know that's the kind of momentum they've built where you know nowhere's off limits there, you know you, you you have your core areas and that's the that's the midwest but they've built up this kind of cachet where you can go anywhere and you you, you've got a shot there's no state there's no territory that's off limits for ohio state if there's a guy they want it's you just got to lay that groundwork and you might have a chance to get them
1: yeah and and i think that'll especially be important in the 2022 class because when you look at the in state guys uh now they have three offers out to to other guy players in ohio who who haven't committed in the 2022 class and cj hicks Gabe Powers and Blake Miller, and who knows, they could be following suit soon enough because it definitely seems at least CJ Hicks and Blake Miller have have strong Ohio State ties, and it, and it seems at the moment that they're Ohio State leans. Um, but you you work in and you you work in and and um, you do what you can in Ohio and work uh, work out and see what other national prospects you can get. But I say that when when I, when I think about what the 2022 class will be, like who knows, it might only be four to six Ohioans. It doesn't seem like it necessarily has the depth of of some Ohio classes, uh, of some previous Ohio classes. And it's early to say that. Um, I think uh, Ryan Day made the point that, you know, maybe Ohio players tend to be at at some points uh, late developing uh, compared to other states. But at the same time, I, I do think this will probably be a little bit more of a national recruiting class than the 2021 Class where you saw you saw a lot of highly rated guys who, who were end state guys. Um, I, I do wonder where they're going to go in 2022 because I, I I think that um, they're going to have to go outside the borders a little bit more than than what they did in in 21.
0: Yeah, if I had a 24 7 Sports crystal ball, which I don't, I would put one in for all three of those Ohio guys. But you just named so C J Hicks, Gabe Powers, Blake Miller. Seems seems like they're all uh, Ohio State leans. Uh, that was the vibe I got from Shibola as well from the time they offered him. I, I, I think he was a guy that you know, that just seemed like an obvious match that Ohio State really wanted him and he wanted to be a Buckeye. So no surprise to see him commit. But I think just getting that commitment is still huge because we, we've seen it with this 2021 class where it just has this building effect that the more and more guys commit they start recruiting each other, and it just builds and builds and builds, and more and more guys want to be a part of it. And I think now that you've got a couple guys committed, now you have the chance to start to do that in that 2022 class. With those Ohio guys we just mentioned, that's where Shabul is going to come in. You know, I'm sure he knows all those guys. He can start recruiting those guys and and start trying to convince them to commit to Ohio State. And then, you know, with Jair Brown, okay, now you're tapping in to another area that's an unusual area for Ohio State, but you know, there's there's already, like you mentioned, uh, they they offered an LSU commit down there. They they're not necessarily just looking for one Louisiana guy there. They're gonna keep going after that area. And we were asked as well this week by Seattle Linga about Jacoby Matthews, who's another uh, player from down in Louisiana who is close with Jair Brown, and and maybe they would have a chance to land him. And he asked us for our gut feeling and. And we actually sent this question over to Zach Carpenter, our recruiting analyst, because truthfully, he knows a lot more about that and, and gut feelings than we do. And and he said that his gut feeling is that Matthews will end up at LSU. He he thinks that with Jair Brown committing to Ohio State, that's going to put even more pressure on LSU to prioritize Matthews and, and try to get him in the fold uh, so that Ohio State doesn't come in because you definitely don't want Ohio State coming into your backyard and taking two guys from Louisiana.
1: No, no. That's, uh, could you imagine if LSU did that in Ohio? I think I'd know what the reaction would be here.
0: It would not be good.
1: It no, would not be good. no,
0: it would definitely not be. Yeah, so I think, I think, yeah, I mean, if, if I, I would agree that I think, you know, it's it's probably a little unlikely that you're going to get two top end guys from Louisiana, but. You know, if they make it if they make it happen, you know, that would certainly that would certainly be a big coup for the Buckeyes. That would. Do you think it's question time? Yeah, let's get to some more of your questions for this week. Falcon Lacks asked us about the quarterback depth chart going forward. He his question was, assuming Justin Fields leaves after this year and one of CJ Stroud or Jack Miller leaves after next year, Ohio State could be stuck at the same spot with a limited quarterback depth chart. He also asked if J.P. Andrade, who who was a freestyle recruit that walked on last year, is there any indication he could be a scholarship candidate down the road, or would Ohio State have to take two quarterbacks again in 2022? Well, first of all, first of all, I would say I don't want to assume that either C.J. Stroud, or Jack Miller is going to leave after next year. I think it's a it's a fair uh, question to raise because certainly we've seen. Uh, That happened a lot recently in college football, where if a guy you know, is in a position where he might not have a great chance of starting in the next couple years, but he'll look to transfer. But uh, we'll have to see what happens with that. But even aside from that, you look at the fact that Justin Fields is probably going to be gone after his upcoming season. Gunnar Hoke's going to be gone after his upcoming season. So even after that, you're you're down to three next year, most likely, with C.J. Stroud, Jack Miller, in Kyle McCord. And so that does put you in a position, absolutely, where if one of those guys leaves, you definitely could be looking for two quarterbacks in that 2022 class. I don't think they're going to rush to give J.P. Andrade a scholarship unless uh, he, he makes a push for a spot. I think they'd be more likely to use that scholarship on, on somebody else rather than somebody who's strictly expected to be a backup quarterback at this point. But, but certainly it's going to be an interesting conversation going forward. We know how much Ryan Day wants to have four quarterbacks on his roster, and he's been able to make that happen for this year. It's going to be difficult, though, just because of the nature of the quarterback position, to to make that happen un- unless you are regularly taking two quarterbacks in a class.
1: Yeah, I think um, – I mean, I, I understand you not wanting to, to- – just assume that that cj Stroud or jack miller will be gone but i think in all likelihood one of them will be gone just because that's just the way that quarterbacks work these days especially since by the time that they'll have to make that decision what i would be guessing is that they would be able to get a one-time immediate uh, eligibility waiver elsewhere um and they Good could point. go start somewhere else so so at this point uh, provided that actually goes through i would be pretty blown away if, if they were on the same team and one of those two were, were starting in, in 2021. But um, to, to, to the question of whether they'll need two quarterbacks in 2022, I I think I do think it, it's probably too early to say that with any uh, definitive uh, degree. But... Um, I, I also think like, like you said Dan Ryan Day has, has made it a point that, that he wants to have four quarterbacks in a class in, a, in his room at all time and if if that, were, if that necessitates having two quarterbacks in one class, like as evidenced with CJ Stroud and Jack Miller, he has the ability to, to make that uh, a, a real possibility and I think to, to make that actually happen in a future class, what he has to do now is, is navigate this with CJ and Jack well and, and what that means I imagine will be that one of them will win the job in twenty twenty one and like it quarterbacks just different. I feel like it's 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 more understandable for us to, to speculate about a potential transfer just because it, it is just the nature of the position these days is I imagine that the other one would probably transfer. Um and I think if you want to sign two high end four star quarterbacks in the future you're gonna to want to try and get them at another good program uh, where they can potentially win and be like a Joe Burrow type. Like that is that is how you do it. Um, it, 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 and that is how you land two quarterbacks who are guys who you view as potential starters at Ohio State in, in the same class, at least in my mind.
0: So you think you think one of them could transfer next year? Not even stay till 2022?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I. Otherwise, do, do you imagine that, that one of them would be willing to be uh, the, the backup to, to the other next season? I guess, I guess I'm
0: guess i just not envisioning that a starter is going to be named in the spring of 2021. I'm, in, I'm envisioning that being a competition that probably continues into preseason camp in 2021.
1: I'm envi- if, if you were Ryan Day, I think you would love for that to happen. But I think you also when you recruit two quarterbacks who are potential starters in the same class, I do think maybe not in the same way that you owe Joe, Joe Burrow, who got a degree from Ohio State before he left. But I think that you do that with the understanding that, you know, by twenty twenty one, you'll by the by the spring of twenty twenty one, when that ends, you'll you'll know who the starter is. I and in, in my opinion, I, I think that's what will happen. But you're right. If 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 that doesn't happen, if Ryan Day does take that to fall, to the fall, then it would be a surprise if one of them transferred. I just think that um, I think that a decision will have to be made um, one way or another about about what Ohio State does um, next spring. And you know, to me, that's just sort of how the quarterback
0: world works these days. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't, I don't know what I quite see it that way, if you. Which is good because we don't agree. We don't disagree enough on this show. Because. Because, man, I mean, that, that does put you in a really precarious position. If, if, if you're having to pick a starter between one of those two guys before really—they're eh, both in their second year and before any of them, you know, assuming Justin Fields plays for full season this upcoming year, you know, you could be going into neither of those guys really having ever seen significant playing time and then, you know, picking one of them and the other one of them transferring out, you know, before one of them even plays— I mean, it, it, it absolutely it, it absolutely could happen. You're right because this is the new world that we live in. But man, I mean, I think you you're certainly if you're Ryan Day, I mean, you're certainly hoping you can at least keep those guys through 2021. Because you know, if you start out the season and one of those guys struggles, you, you you'd like to have that other guy there. Because if not. You could be looking at your quarterback depth chart being one of those guys a true freshman kyle mccord and jp andrade that that could be your quarterback depth chart and yeah and then and then at that point
1: i imagine you and this is getting too far ahead obviously but you would look for a gunner hogue chris chuganov type who could come in and would be okay being a veteran backup who likely wouldn't start but you never know what what can happen in, in college football but uh, yeah, no, I think that's an interesting conversation to, down the line. I just, I personally think that um, the way that, that quarterbacks are and the way that that position is these days, that I, I don't think that they would be okay not having a decision by the end of spring and, and having uh, to sit out, no, only knowing the entire time that once next offseason hits, the first thing they're going to do is enter the transfer portal.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, that, that's, that's a fair point. And, and like you said, like you said, it, it, there is a very good chance that by next year there will be a one-time transfer exception that allows guys to transfer immediately so that could speed this process up even faster than what it's already been where yeah if a guy's coming out of a spring and he's not going to be a starter and he and he thinks he has a chance to go start somewhere else could he could he go ahead and transfer right then and there a- a- absolutely absolutely so i think it's 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 a fair conversation um, yeah, I could see that going either way. You know, I mean, I, I don't think the sense of it's, it's not the same as Joe Burrow because Joe Burrow is going into his fourth year at that point And, you know, there was not, if he didn't transfer then, it, 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 he, he had to transfer then because he was just running out of time. Uh, he had just graduated. He had at the time. You know, that was when you got a transfer is after you graduate, you're going to start a master's program somewhere. So uh, it's a different situation in that regard where, you know, I think if you're one of those guys, you know, if you're in your second year, you could stay at Ohio State as the backup and, you know, you could still go somewhere in your third year. You know, most likely, if if you're not a starter, you know, most likely in one of these two years, you're going to be able to take a redshirt, and you could still go somewhere and still have three remaining seasons of eligibility somewhere. So I don't, I don't know if there's quite that sense of urgency. You know, at the same time, you know, we did see it with Matthew Baldwin last year, so I, I understand where you're coming from with this. Thankfully, we've
1: got enough time this summer to to have a full skill quarterback episode at some point.
0: Yeah, I guess I guess so. Sounds like a conversation we'll need to revisit at some point. Grand
1: Theft Harley says the 800 pound gorilla in the room is COVID nineteen. Dan, he addresses this question to you. So my question is in regard to testing uh, the Ohio State University student body for for the fall semester. What would be the timeline for a restart of the Ohio State football season, if any? Has the Big Ten entertained any ideas? Could testing for the coronavirus be folded in as a part of class registration? Um, Maybe the Wexner Medical Center could be part of this new protocol, he asks lot in there
0: (laughs) yeah i mean the the short answer unfortunately is i really don't have an answer to any of those four questions because (laughs) i'm just i'm just not privy to those conversations are happening but to try to address each of them you know the the timeline it's just hard to say because uh there's so much being floated out there but there's still so many unknowns i mean the, the the one thing i would say that gives me confidence is the fact that the country is starting to reopen up. There does seem to be momentum in a lot of places towards starting to open up. We've seen just in this past week a lot of schools formally announcing that they are at least intending to have camp students on campus this fall. Based on what Ohio State has been saying, I think they are moving in that direction. I think they are certainly looking toward the fall semester with the goal of having students back on campus so I think there's enough momentum right now toward a semi-normal fall semester that I think a football season this fall remains realistic I I, I'm not gonna say it's gonna happen for sure cuz I don't know I, I think a delayed start to the season is certainly possible I know there are people out there who think a spring season is most likely. You know, I, I have questions about the logistics of a spring season, especially in regards to those NFL draft conversations that we had before. That I, uh, You know, I, I think there's a lot of different questions that come in if you, this starts coming into the spring. But, you know, I, I, I think the goal is still, at least for now, to try to start the season at some point this fall. It could be shortened. It could be delayed, uh, but I think they're certainly going to try. Uh, in terms of a Big Ten's ideas, Ryan Day said when he was asked a couple weeks ago that the Big Ten has asked them to you know, keep those ideas quiet, and I really haven't seen them leak out anywhere else. So there are absolutely conversations taking place right now uh, about possible changes to the season. But... Uh, so far, those have not been leaked out publicly. So we still kind of have to wait and see what, what happens there. Uh, in terms of testing for a coronavirus and, and how that could be done, I, I think that's outside my area of expertise, where I really feel comfortable answering that too much in, in terms of how testing could be done. I mean, I, I think certainly based on everything I've heard from you know, people who are uh, more educated on this topic, You know, I I think mass testing is the goal right now. I think that's something that people are trying to get implemented as soon as possible. And and whether that becomes something that could become, you know, mandatory for students arriving on a campus, it's certainly possible. Uh, But I don't don't know. I just don't know enough about that to really uh, have any informed uh, opinion or prediction about that. Uh, I'm sure the Wexner Medical Center is going to be involved in a lot of these decisions, and I think that's true uh, for the football team as well. But I think when it when it comes to these things, uh, some of these things are going to go beyond the team doctors. Some of these, some of the, a lot of these things, in terms of um, medical decisions and keeping players safe, these are going to be made at a university wide level. So uh, you know, I think there's you know, I don't think it's necessarily a thing where. You know, every student has to be back on campus for the football team to necessarily be there in July. But I I do think a lot of decisions that are going to be made, and certainly based on, you know, the way Gene Smith has talked about this so far, everything the athletic department does is going to be in lockstep with the university. So ultimately, the student athletes at Ohio State are going to be under the same standards as the entire student body at Ohio State, and they're not going to do things that could create undue risks for Ohio State student-athletes if they don't believe they're safe for the entire student body in general.
1: Yeah, and, and they'll they'll push it as far as they can, because they re- everybody wants football to happen, but... They're not going to do something in my opinion from what I can, from what I can gather based on Gene Smith and, and Michael Drake and others uh, um, words thus far is that you know, they're not going to do anything absurd. Like if there are no students on campus, I, I, I wouldn't expect there to play games. So no. I, I do think that um, generally, they'll follow what, what the other students are doing, like you said.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, I think the, the possibility of games without fans, it is real because I think of all the different people you then bring on into campus and into a stadium for those. I, mm-hmm. I think that's possible, but I think games without students on campus. I, I I don't think that's something that's realistically going to happen.
1: Yep, yep. I think that I, I agree with that, especially the first part because so I know Gene had had mentioned the how that would be how that would uh, be weird in a sense, but I think that that's an option that you know. That if that becomes the, the a realistic possibility that they could potentially do that I think that that would that would become something that they discuss a lot and, and I could absolutely see that um, happening if, if things play out uh, in the way where you know that needs to be a discussion point
0: point. and I think we'll learn more about the realisticness of that in the next couple of months because there are professional sports leagues right now that are moving toward the direction of holding events without fans so I think how those events go, could start to give us a window into whether that's something that could potentially become widespread for, you know, the rest of 2020 in terms of sporting events being held without fans.
1: Mm -hmm. I agree with that. Uh, Next question, Silver Sniper, one of our prolific question askers, Um, 2020 hindsight. Dobbins have been better off staying one more year at Ohio State. And, you know, as an Ohio State fan, I respect this. He, he, he makes a case. He lays it out. So I'll, I'll do that for him. He says, I know running back mileage is key, but he did split carries the first two years. Uh, In the same way that the national championship run helped Edwards Hilaire become the first running back off the board in the first round, if Dobbins had stayed, he might have been able to do the same next year with the national championship run. Then number three is he would be able to have filled a a major question mark at Ohio State for the running back position, and the offense would have been unstoppable, in his words. And then number four, there's a big difference in money between number 55 overall and a first-round draft pick. And, And had Dobbins stayed one more year, he could have shown Saquon, Barkley-esque value, and Silver Sniper's opinion. Dan, I think we're going to agree on this, um, unfortunately, because like you said, I feel like we're going to need to figure out how to disagree more, but what what is your take on this?
0: Yeah, I'll tackle this the same way as the last one in terms of the short answer is no. I, I, I don't think he would have been better off staying for, for one more year. I, I think... When you break the single season rushing record at Ohio State, you've probably maximized your value. And I think you know the reality is that i I, I just don't really think there's much more he could have done by coming back for another year if it would have significantly improved his draft stock. I think at this point he was what he was. and I think the NFL viewed him as a second round pick. And, you know, maybe, you know, sometimes these things work out, and Ryan Day alluded to this on his teleconference on Sunday that, you know, sometimes it just depends on what positions teams are targeting. And, you know, maybe in another draft, if if teams, more teams were interested in running backs in the first round, maybe they all get pushed up the board and he goes earlier. But, you know, just in terms of his draft stock, you know, I, you know, again, I I don't think the, you know, splitting carries his first two years had any effect on his draft stock because he he broke Ohio State's single season rushing record last year. He he proved he could be a bell cow back last year. So I think, you know, that box is already checked. In terms of a national championship run, helped Clyde Edwards Hilaire? It did. But, you know, J.K. Dobbins also looked pretty spectacular before he hurt his ankle in the college playoff game. He had a lot of big performances in big games last year. So I, I think he, you know, had enough film to show what he can do. That ankle injury might have hurt him, but do i think that was a reason uh to come back i mean you risk a more serious injury if you come back for another year so uh, i don't think that's necessarily a reason to come back uh yeah he would have he would have filled a major question mark for ohio state at the running position and the offense might have been unstoppable i don't disagree with that but that's not a reason for him to not make the decision that's best for him and then you know the fourth point I think the reality is I just don't think he's a Saquon Barkley-level prospect. I just I just don't. I think he's not that same level of athlete as Saquon Barkley. That's not to say he might not be as productive as Saquon Barkley in the NFL. But I, I think in terms of that, especially nowadays in the NFL, to be that early first-round pick running back, you've really got to have that, those elite physical traits like an Ezekiel Elliott, a Saquon Barkley, a Christian McCaffrey. And I think J.K.'s just not quite at that level. So I think... Even if he, if he came back for another year and he ran for 2,000 yards again, I, I just don't know if that necessarily would have helped his draft stock, as crazy as that might sound.
1: Yeah, I'll say this. The, the money difference between a late first-round pick and going where he did in, in the late second round is, is significant. But like you said, um, I, I, I do think to, a, to an extent, J.K. Dobbins is who he is at this point. In terms of being an NFL draft prospect, I'm not sure that if he came back, he he would have done, uh, done a ton better because, I mean, like you said, what's he going to do? Rush for 3,000 yards next season? Like, I, th- I think to an extent, like, NFL teams know what they're getting with J.K. Dobbins. That said, like, to me, I think he fell a little bit too far. I was surprised that, that he fell that far. I would, I feel, v- if I were a Ravens fan, I'd feel very confident in getting yeah. a good NFL running back in J.K. Dobbins. That said, too, he was the fifth running back selected. We're not talking about him being like the 15th running back selected. Had he come back and, and maybe been the third or fourth running back selected um, – that, that bumps him up a little bit, but but I still don't think that he's going to go – he would have necessarily gone in a range that you'd be like, all right, well, he had to have come back because doing so gained him $10 million on his rookie deal. The other thing I would say is to your point, Silver Sniper, you had said that running back mileage is key, but he did split the carries in the first two years. I think the way that I sometimes look about it, look at it with running backs is, you know, J.K. Dobbins, I don't know how many seasons he has. Maybe he has eight seasons left. If you spend one of those eight seasons in college, to me, that's just one less year that that you get paid Um, because you're going to at some point, if you if you run 200, if he came back, he would have been running to the ground again at Ohio State. And, you know, that's not what he's going to get um, at, at, with the Baltimore Ravens next year. Like you said, they have Mark Ingram right now. It's not going to be a situation where he goes in and he runs 300 times. Um, I think that that is a spot, too, where, you know, he can play for a second contract there. He's not going to be a one-contract running back to me. Um, and, and and I think that um, the fact that he can go and split con- split carries and, and uh on his rookie deal. I think that that is somewhat beneficial if you're talking about a second contract. So I get, I get why um, if you think about JK Dobbins and you imagine that maybe he could become a mid first round pick that you might think that, but just based on the way the NFL ended up evaluating him. um, I, I don't know that if he had come back that he would have, his value really would have, would have reached that point.
0: Yeah. I think with, with these nfl draft decisions i mean first of all they're all different for everybody everybody's got their own personal factors that they have to weigh and so there's not one blanket statement that can say this guy should go pro or this guy should stay but i think you know for everyone you really want to look at it as a reward versus risk situation and and you know whatever rewards for coming back a guy like damon Arnett that we talked about earlier i mean for him there was clear reward in coming back because he 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 wouldn't have been a first-round pick a year ago he would have been a middle-round pick he was a guy who was not ready to play in the NFL yet he was a guy who needed to improve and and he did and he made a lot of money for it but I think for a JK Dobbins and you look at it you come back I, I don't think there's anything he could have done that necessarily guaranteed he he would have gone earlier you run the risk of getting hurt and potentially going lower in the draft. Yeah, you could have come back. You know, Maybe you get to win a national championship, and that would be great. Maybe you uh, break Archie's career rushing record, and that would be great. But y- you've already accomplished so much at Ohio State, and he's ready. J.K. Dobbins is ready to go play in the NFL. J- J.K. Dobbins does not need another year of college development. He- he's ready to go play in the NFL right now. And so I just don't think I just think the risk outweighed the reward there and completely agree with what you said, Colin. But you do. you got you got to look at it as a factor of, hey, one more year at Ohio State could be one less year. Y- you get paid. So, so if you're J.K. Dobbins and, and you're ready, go get paid.
1: Daniel asked our final question, um, which, by the way, I should mention, if anyone's wondering why we're not talking about college athletes potentially making money um on their name image and likeness it's because we're recording this 12 hours before the conference call and and what what the NCAA is supposed to release and you know hypothetically if you're listening to this maybe you can go to 11warriors.com and and uh and see what they said but you know i'm sure there will be news um that that we will be writing about. and we'll talk but about
0: that next week we'll talk we about will. that next week
1: we will uh daniel asked the final question What's your opinion on jerseys? On wearing jerseys to games and just around town? Does it matter your age?
0: I say live and let live, man. <laughs> you know, to to be honest with you, uh, I really don't have a strong opinion on this one way or the other. Uh, I, I'm not somebody who uh, it, it, I try to be. I try to be a non-judgmental person. So I say, hey, man, if you you want to wear a jersey, go for it. If if you don't, don't. I mean. You're not going to see me wearing a jersey around because that would be in, that would be unprofessional. If I showed up to a game wearing an Ohio State uh, football jersey, it'd really be unprofessional for be me crazy. to be wearing an Ohio State football jersey anywhere because I cover the team. So uh, no, you're not going to see me wearing a jersey. Uh, personally, I don't think I've worn a jersey since I was in high school. Um, I, I think I uh, have, have moved <laughs> wait, wait, on. Hold from-
1: up, hold up, Dan. Is I have. I- I know my answer. I'm interested in your answer. What's the last jersey you either bought or wore?
0: That's tough. I, I honestly, I, I, I don't remember, to be completely honest. what What is your answer?
1: Okay. Mine's dumb. Uh, I, I still remember mine because it was, uh, I don't remember why. I think it might have been because I was a senior in high school and there was like this Dodgeball game and everyone was buying just random jerseys, so I was like, "All right, I gotta go get one." I went and grabbed a Phil Taylor Cleveland Browns one off the clearance rack, and that is the (laughs) last one I've got. That one did not age well, but but I've still got it.
0: I think I think I actually I think I think I think my senior year in high I think before my senior year in high school I think when I visited Ohio State I think I bought a number two Ohio State jersey which was Terrell Pryor at the time. I think that's the last jersey I bought. I, I, I remember buying some basketball jerseys and high like I had a, I had a LeBron jersey, I had a, a Durant jersey at one point, um, but have not bought any jerseys in, in recent years. Um, haven't worn a, a jersey in years. But again, uh, you know, for a fan, you know, I think especially for a game, I think mean, especially for a game, uh, you want to wear a jersey uh, more power to you. You know, I think in terms of everyday wear, it tends to be more of a kid thing. Um, I don't think you, you know, you don't typically see a ton of adults wearing jerseys just, just around town, but I mean, I, I really, I don't have a strong opinion on it. I think, you know, if it's something, if it's something you want to do, if it's part of your style, go for it. I know our colleague Kevin Harris would have an opinion on it
1: because his slack avatar is of an an older gentleman in a Demario McCall jersey, which he thinks is the greatest thing in the world, Um, which I also think is amazing. So, yes, no, especially on game days, I'm pro-Jersey. I mean, just maybe if if you're daily, if you just wake up in the morning and you grab a jersey and throw it on, I might say that that's a little bit weird, but uh, especially the games – wear a jersey if you're in columbus just no one's gonna think twice if they see a an ohio state jersey even if it's not a game day uh so no it doesn't matter your age just go wherever whatever you want the one caveat to that is you have to be a certain kind of person to put on a a basketball jersey without an undershirt so that's that's the one caveat i'm gonna make
0: yeah no that that that, that, that's fair that is fair (laughs) that is that is that is fair the age limit might be like 12 on that yes yeah no i i i would agree with that i would i would agree with that um definitely uh certain certain things do not need to be seen when you're wearing your jersey but yeah i'm gonna agree with colin here you know you're going to a game uh i think you see uh a a lot of people wearing jerseys at games so you're certainly gonna fit in uh, even around town, if you're if you're sitting around your house in quarantine right now wearing a jersey every day, that might be a little weird. But <laughs> if that's your style, if it's something you like to wear, more power to you. I respect it. I respect it. Well, thanks so much for listening into another episode of Real Pod Wednesdays. Uh, we had a lot to talk about this week, so that's always good in, in the middle of this off season to have plenty to talk about. And uh, we'll tr- we'll keep trying to bring some interesting content to you here as we. Uh, roll into may you know nfl draft being over now it really feels like the off season at a time of uncertainty but uh you know we're gonna keep rolling through it and and see what happens and uh, hopefully you know we'll get some good news soon and uh, we'll start to get back to normal at some point but until then we'll try to keep you entertained so thanks so much for listening in and have a great week everyone